good news everyone talking futurama is coming back for talking futurama season two part two fresher than a summer ham this podcast comes every friday and if you sign up at the five dollar level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons you can hear each episode as it goes live that's right sign up today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons for five dollars to hear talking futurama every friday throughout the rest of 2020 and also all the previous episodes we've done so far so head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons now or we're gonna clamp you shut up and take my money i heartily endorse this event or product Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where you can't silence the truth with beanbags. I'm your host, the level 5 vegan Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert and The Simpsons are going to Paris. And who do we have on the line? Hi everybody, it's X of the Blood God host, Cat Bailey, and I am a fan of Burning Man in this group. Mm, and today's episode is Lisa, the Tree Hugger. I knew this day would come. The cows are taking back what's theirs. No, I think they're protesters. Today's episode aired on November 19th, 2000. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh boy, Bobby. The Florida Supreme Court. No. (laughs) They demand a recount where W currently leads by 930 votes. This is hinted at in the chalkboard joke this week. Uh, In happier news, the Grinch beats Rugrats in Paris at the box office. And on the Nintendo 64, Banjo-Tooie is released. I am a fan of the Banjo-Tooie game. You're a, you're a banjo liker, eh? Yes. I, I never, I see it as little brother games. I can't, I guess you are a little brother, Bob. So. I am. <laughs> but I, uh, I 100% of the first game and I, this game is frankly too big. So I only played a bit of it. The reason I screamed is because we can't stop doing things that came out in November of 2000. I forgot to point it out, but Dexter's Laboratory Ego Trip, the VHS came out on election day of oh, 2000. Yeah. We did that for what a cartoon movie uh, last month. It. Yeah. Jeez. What a weird month. We went to sleep uh, on election day and we're like, everything's going to be fine when we wake up. And then it's like, wait, it's still going? Can elections do that? Mm-hmm. It uh, it was the first time we learned what modern elections would be of just you have to wait and wait and wait on two or three states. And boy, I mean, the, the 2001 almost seems quaint waiting on <laughs> one state for a month instead of like five states for eight days. And just like so many other future patriots, Al Gore failed to stop the steal. Yeah, he failed. <laughs> I, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, yes, at this time in the timeline, the Florida, Florida Supreme Court is saying there should be a recount that's going to get uh, sent up to Supreme Court. Who knows what will happen then? Uh, but... And the chalkboard gag is I am not the acting president. Yes, yeah. That, uh... I'm sorry. Well, I was too caught up in the first news item. What was the second one between Banjo-Tooie and the vote? The Grinch is at the top of the oh, b- box office fuck. over Rugrats in Paris. That's I love that you two. call that happier news. <laughs> I don't know if that's happier news, Henry. Uh, some people like that Grinch. It's now turned into like a Christmas favorite of some people i've found out on the twitter i'm sure i've complained about it before this movie but i went into this with residual jim carrey love from the 90s this destroyed any love i had for jim carrey (laughs) for at least a decade i think i'd maybe have come to like more but i don't like it the jim carrey grinch because 
that Minions Grinch seemed worse. Mm. Like that uh, the Illumination Grinch film seemed lamer to me. I I at least like that. I don't know. I think Jim Carrey, like he's actually having to walk around very uncomfortably covered in a bunch of garbage. Just know that he's miserable, I guess. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather <laughs> him play the... Gentlemen, they're all bad. <laughs> it's okay. true. I mean, I'd rather have him play the Grinch than make those awful political paintings. Let's, <laughs> let's stop doing that, Jim. I mean, we're all very proud of you. Uh, great way to go, but honestly, not that great. Yeah. Not that great. Uh, uh, and Rugrats in Paris was when Chucky got a new mom mm. and, and a new sister and when they, they finally got an Asian baby <laughs> on the show. Wedding after wedding after wedding. <laughs> uh, but hey, welcome back, Cat Bailey. Hey, it's good to be back here, extending my, my run on Talking Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you are the Tom Hanks of the show and that you've had the most guest appearances, I think, of, of anybody, of any guest. Yeah, I always enjoy coming on here. And we're in the season 12 now, so this is kind of uncharted territory, but... I don't mind watching some of these newer episodes, quote unquote, newer episodes, just because it kind of reflects a period of The Simpsons that I don't know as well. So I feel like I'm learning something. And then also sometimes you can find episodes that are a little bit of a diamond in the rough. I wouldn't necessarily call this episode mm. a diamond in the rough, but. I have a go. question for both of you. Uh, was Cat's last episode with us, The Crepes of Wrath? Yes. It was. yes. Cat was with us for our last uh, recording on the eve of lockdown in that's, March of 2020. That's right. That cat was our last live guest, in-person guest uh, on our and show. And honestly, we're lucky that we didn't all get COVID from that. It's true. Mm, it was it was shutdown day when we did it, Mark. Yeah, Pretty I much. can't. It was like two days later. And I, we were all talking, and we were just talking. I was like, "Oh, my wedding's coming up," but I'm sure that's still going to happen. And it's it's March. Uh, yeah. This will all blow over in a few weeks, and then uh, I eventually got married in uh, January of yep. the following year. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, and also things have changed a lot since then because, Kat, now you're on the Patreon podcast train as well. Hmm. I sure am. I'm still hosting Axe of the Blood God. We have liberated it from US Gamer. We've grabbed the axe and yanked it away from Uncle Reed. And <laughs> in the process, we've started up our own Patreon, which is very exciting. And we started up two additional podcasts on top of that. There's Pantheon of the Blood God, where we look back on a classic RPG and we decide whether or not it decides it deserves to go into the kind of the hall of fame of rpgs the pantheon as it were right now we're doing lufia too and then we're also doing television of the bug god which is kind of like you know the talking simpsons format but we're doing it with rpg related shows right now we're doing the Knit witcher on netflix hmm. and all of this is available for patrons at the five dollar level and above nice you know so many people these days are living off of podcast patreons that i want everyone out there to write your senator let them know we need to vaccinate podcasters mm -hmm. we're providing essential services for entertainment we're not up there with grocery store workers or people in hospitals or ambulance workers or sanitation workers the list is very long we're at the bottom but still essential we are essential i i should get to jump the line at least on like uh, say a cpa let yeah let's get ahead of those guys <laughs> hey i think i'm way more essential than anybody who works for like Google or any of the tech concerns in Silicon Valley. Yeah, they can do all that. They can yeah. definitely do that stuff from home. I'm bringing joy to the lives of people. That's more than I can say for them. <laughs> uh, the world needs laughter. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yes, congrats on on the successful launch of your Patreon. It's always great to see any of our, our friends uh, go independent and, and get out of the rat race. Thank you so much. And by the way, it's Axe, A-X-E, not Axe, A-C-T-S. I've had some confusion on that front, but Axe of the Blood God. 
You can lure in Christians by saying, we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, the Christian God is the blood God. <laughs> I, I like having Kat on for this one because this is a real Punish Lisa episode of the show. Yeah. I think this mm. I think this is the ultimate Punish Lisa episode. It actually, uh, listeners, I have a new jingle Yay. I'm going to uh, debut here. Every episode uh, from, I think, season nine onward, I've been pointing out like, Lisa exists to either point out a plot inconsistency <laughs> or to be told she's wrong. And so finally, this episode provided a wonderful jingle that in future episodes I will play when it's a uh, time to punish Lisa. Uh, and here it is. Take that, Lisa's beliefs. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I feel like I'm here for history, and that is actually the perfect jingle, and also really sad. <laughs> I just love how uh, they so succinctly put it to explain how the writers were feeling at this time. They they are so they at least recognize that they're like take that Lisa's beliefs, <laughs> like God, uh, but but also this is like uh, an ascended episode for a previously like very limited character who becomes much bigger this episode onward in the series. And I, of course mean rich texan oh okay is he officially named rich texan in this episode uh he is pointed at and in the at the auction and says rich texan uh, but they don't literally say his name is rich texan mm, okay. i don't think, I think but... his name is shady bird johnson <laughs> really is that his actual name or at least mr burns calls him that at some point well that's what the wiki he, says according to the yeah. wiki shady bird johnson has been used at some point hmm. well that's like le that's like jeff anderson level albertson albertson I, I i refuse to learn it i'm sorry <laughs> okay uh, rich texan is the way we all know him so yes. that's what matters that's like jailbird versus snake as well i suppose but i'll always call him rich texan but this is an interesting episode of the show that has a whole lot of history to it too and it's uh, it's written by Matt Selman, who is the uh, co-showrunner of the show now. I'd say he's of of him and Al Jean. I I think I like his showrun episodes better of, of Modern Simpsons. I like his commentaries too. He's very bridge Bernie, I guess. Oh yeah, and he's very candid about uh you know we didn't know what we were doing or this is a bad joke or just uh he's very sassy on commentaries and I like him. I think he would make fun of us if we had him on a podcast. Oh yeah, and I I welcome it. I well, I love to after this one. And also finding out, I, I always remember he's one of the writers of the Simpsons video game, meaning he is a gamer or more of a gamer. That's interesting because this game, uh, this episode is very gaming ignorance. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I definitely hearing Selman on the commentary. He even says, "You watch South Park sometimes, and I think, why are we so crummy? Why aren't we as good at reacting to current events as South Park?" And I definitely feel like hearing him say that just tied the ribbon on what i'd already thought about him and in, in at this time he was writing an episode to try to keep up with south park and he like this feels like a south park episode in in how it com and also its view on like anti-hippiness though it is not as savage to hippies as south park would be not, that's true not at all. Less hippies and more hipsters and then mm -hmm. also the problem with chasing south park is if you do that you kind of end up being frozen in amber and this episode is very much that this episode is very 2000 
in the way that it approaches environmental kind of politics and that sort of thing. And in that respect, it feels very dated. I like how on the commentary, they are upfront about how snotty they're being because yes. they're pointing out, yes, the point of our show is everyone is wrong except for us, the smart comedy writers. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like that. And I also like that I think Graining to an extent keeps them a little honest too. I think he's he's good. And also they, uh, an interesting thing is what they, they took the rip from the headlines from here. Uh, did, did you look into this history, guys? Too, oh, I but, did, definitely. Yeah. I have a little bit yeah. of bio on what this is about. Uh, do you want to hear about it? Yeah. Okay, uh, this is based on the story of Julia Butterfly Hill, who lived in a 180-foot-tall redwood tree for 738 days between December 10th, 1997 and December 18th, 1999. Uh, Mike Scully points out she missed two seasons of The Simpsons <laughs> by staying in that tree. <laughs> and you know what? I also think the germ of this was found in uh, Homer to the Max when they were chaining themselves to the giant redwoods. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You can, so much in the Scully seasons, you can see a joke like a season or two beforehand that you that you can then point like, oh, they then extrapolated on that one joke into a full episode. But yes, uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, she was not affiliated with any environmental group. Later, she would associate with the group Earth First. But she lived on two six-foot by six-foot platforms over the course of her tree stay, and her protest was successful in very small terms. So the logging company that was going to clear-cut this forest agreed to not cut down that tree and not cut down trees within a 200-foot radius of the tree. Mm. And uh, despite one attack by vandals, the tree known as Luna still stands today. So for uh, two years, she was up in a tree. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Two whole years. That I did read about that attack on the vandals thing, and it's like unsolved. They never found who did it. But uh, the timing of it is interesting to me because it came nine days after this episode aired. Wow. On the Thanksgiving weekend of 2000, some vandals chainsawed into the tree and at the time I, I read like a story from the week it happened and they were very concerned of like this might have killed the tree like this this might have done irreparable damage to it but they were able to steady the tree and and do some tree surgery on it and it is still with us but yeah I so I even wonder like I bet those vandals, it's just as likely they were lumber company guys who were pissed off at this hippie who saved the tree. Yeah. But I don't know. What if it was like a kid who watched this episode of Simpsons Ooh. and was, hey, that's based on this local tree. Fuck that hippie, man. I'll cut it down. Yeah, that's dark. Holy cow. And that honestly, who vandalizes a tree? I mean, dude's mad at hippie bullshit. They're so like, mad uh, they're going to uh, punch really? a tree. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. The redwoods she was uh, protecting were like 1,500 years old, too. I think in this episode, it's a sequoia. It's yeah. not a redwood. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's apparently up in Humboldt. We could we could mm. visit it. So if we rent a car, we could drive up there. Yeah, we I, actually had a moment just recently where we were trying to protect redwoods in our own backyard because just behind us we have a couple of really nice redwoods, and they were going, and we were afraid for a hot second that they were actually going to be cut down. So we were writing letters to our city council. We were like preparing to organize an actual, honest to god protest. We were talking to our neighborhood Facebook group and everything, and getting people riled up and mad that they were going to cut down these gorgeous redwood trees. And and then they said, okay, we're not going to actually do that. Mm. And we're like, thank God. So we saved our own trees in our own way. Aren't that's... we all, Lisa? And aren't we all hugging trees? <laughs> that's sweet. That's Well, yeah, yeah. Another thing when I looked into her stay in the tree, she was there during extreme weather from El Nino, which yeah. like that is so oh 90s to me too, that it's, you get tied in El Nino in this story. She had to learn how to fight the elements by like sleeping in a sleeping bag with just her mouth poking out. And yeah, I mean, say what you want about her, but she sacrificed two years of her young life 
to save yeah. a tree. She is hardcore. Yeah. Like, yeah, I... I, I, it was also funny because in 2006, when I first moved here in Berkeley, yeah. there was a tree sit in here too. And uh, I remember when I came here, I was like, wow, just like that Simpsons episode, man. And unfortunately, Big Business fully won in that situation, or the college, I guess, did. But And they cut it all down. And uh, and now, instead of that beautiful nature, there's more parking. And you can, you know, uh, see football games, which, hey, isn't that Yay. what's really important? <laughs> uh, it's It was sad. When I looked that up, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Oh, big, the bad guys won. Uh, I can see the statue in memory of a real tree. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, if you haven't ever engaged with the extras on this one, there is animator commentary for this one. That is uh, Stephen Dean Moore, the director, Chuck Sheets, and Mike B. Anderson, the supervising director, just the three of them. And they're also like, uh, they have, you know, like that stuff they do on the NFL of drawing on the screen. They're doing that too. It is a breath of fresh air. I have complained on recent ones of like these poor animators. They have no space to talk because the silly anime, the writers are just talking over them here. Getting the three animators to talk. I learned a whole lot. Mm, it's, okay. it's really interesting. I'll, I'll share some fun stuff in it, but it's the first time I really watched one of those animator commentaries. It's really good. They're good. As always, these DVDs are worth it. I don't know if they're going up in price or going down in price, but they're definitely the ideal way to watch these. They, they were hard to track down. I think they, I think Disney's letting them go out of print. I don't know. Just imagining like John Madden from the Super Bowl episode. Now that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, they should have done it when he was complaining about that. He should have drawn on the screen. <laughs> I would have liked to see that. Uh, but the episode uh, begins, yes, with that uh, 2000 ca- chalkboard gag of the election. And then to also make it very the year 2000, it's a Teletubbies couch gag, too. I think their third Teletubbies reference to date. Yeah, they were going hard on those Teletubbies. I, I love the little extra bit that Maggie is very excited about it. When all the Teletub- the family sits around her, she's just clapping in excitement. Uh, but yes, this episode begins with Krusty counting down to the end of the show, not to anything fun. It's a nice little subtle joke. I think I just, I think I got it this time for my first viewing. Like, oh yeah, he was counting down to nothing. He was counting down like, now we can stop. The yes, show can yeah. stop. Uh, he's probably like, well. He's run we- out of material. He's just like, okay, I'm just running out of time. It's a little bit like early seasons of the episode or the Simpsons where they would have the extended couch gag because they're like, we need to fill in literally any time. And Krusty just is doing what Krusty does. He doesn't even care. I love the thing that Krusty on his TV show like, and as of course we all remember, the last hundred seconds is where we count down from 100. 100. (laughs) Uh, It's a counting game. It's so it's so funny to see Krusty like kind of phoning it in. I also wonder if this is commentary from the producers going like sometimes you just got to count down and <laughs> hope you run out of time. Uh, but then I didn't realize this when I asked you to be on the episode, Cat. But this is a gamer episode as well for about oh, forty five seconds. Yes, Krusty the Clown is brought to you by the new Game Station Two Fifty Six. It's slightly faster to the max. 256? Oh, and I'm stuck with this useless 252? Don't destroy me. I can still make you happy. To the max! Here's a headline for Jay. Ketchup truck hits hamburger stand. (laughs) Mom, can I have 200 bucks for a 256K game station? That's less than a dollar a K. Oh, I might be able to help you. 
with a song about thrift. <laughs> when you get a penny from a chum, don't just buy some bubble gum. Put it in your camp. Put it in your camp. <laughs> when you find a nickel in the snow, don't just blow it on a picture show. Put it in your camp. Put it in your camp. I don't have a cap. When you spy a quarter in a pie. <laughs> I want to hear the rest of that verse. <laughs> so this video game stuff, I feel like, uh, I don't know if Selman was responsible for this part of it, but this is the most old man understanding of video games. Like, Super Nintendo! I, I thought you have a Nintendo! It's like, no, it's a Super Nintendo. At this point in history, the PlayStation 2 was such a massive leap over the PlayStation 1. I'm sure they're referencing that, that there is a new PlayStation, right? Yeah, yeah, the PS2 had just come out. I, I mean... Uh, well, the number on it is an N64 kind of thing, yeah. too. And it is a multiple of N64. Of I mean, now you can make this joke where there's like a PS4, a PS4 Pro, the Xbox X, the Xbox Series X, the X. I mean, <laughs> I feel like this is more applicable now where it's like it's slightly better. But it definitely is a parent's joke about, I just bought you the 252. This this thing is only slightly better. Like an adult, a parent doesn't understand that you buy a new system because that's where all the games are going to be not just because it's fancy it's because all the games are there but this this is when non-gamers write game jokes feels like a throwback to when the super nintendo first came out and there was all that controversy among parents were saying wait a minute you want us to buy a new nintendo and it doesn't play any of the old games what the heck and this mm -hmm. was actually items on local news and everything so i wonder if it just kind of seeped into his brain for this particular episode yeah when doing super nintendo coverage and retrospectives that was a big thing cat people saying like was nintendo trying to rip us off yeah <laughs> this foreign company and this definitely feels like you know say mike scully with his kids they're saying buy me a playstation 2 and he says well, i just bought you a playstation didn't i like uh but now many more gamers right we talked about this with mike drucker on our, our live one there's a lot more gamers in the writer's room now so you don't just get the parents view of a video game machine and it's also so weird the game station design is it's a playstation but it has a like a joystick attached like to a it. flight stick yeah and uh Mar talk? <laughs> yeah well it this was in this era robot voices come out of things all the time usually as they die or get hurt <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> why was i programmed to feel pain yeah. <laughs> um so marge's song about thrift not a real song written by matt selman who was still receiving ascap payments for it I love for writing that. that song but i like it in that it is a song that feels like it was written during the depression that marge learned from adults when she was a little kid because right. it's about like don't blow your nickel on a picture show marge was born in the 50s that's true that was not her life <laughs> it's a thrift song she has been handing down i love yeah and it's it's also great that she hears a song in her head but the show is not supporting her by playing a song it's it's just marge singing it herself and also she's drawn with more like shape to her than she normally is like a lot of times marge is a tube but yeah. when she starts pointing at things you see a lot more definition of where her elbow is or like her hip and i also love she kind of does like a her core, little her, her little strut yeah. yeah the little strut it's like a chorus girl strut like with her palms it. up and like raised at a 45 degree angle yeah it's i most animated she's been in ages <laughs> that's i love too. marge in this episode she's not just like a nag a lot of these episodes writer has a 
nag. But in this one, first she's a lame mom who sends uh, headlines to Jay Leno, which makes you a loser. Where people die <laughs> yes. in the subheading. Uh, I yep. love she doesn't notice six people die. <laughs> That's great. Where is Bart's lucky red cap, though? Yeah. That's the bigger question. Ed, our favorite character is gone from The Simpsons. That's how you know The Simpsons is truly in decline, the th- departure of the lucky red cap. I think it's behind the toilet again. Uh, and uh that 200 hundred dollar price tag i believe that was the dreamcast price tag uh but like ps2 launched at 299 yeah so uh which apparently adjusted uh, for inflation via online calculators 450 bucks so you know the 500 hundred dollar ps5 not such a big difference in 2020 dollars the super nintendo was 200 dollars, i think so again that might have been where i was getting it from i was working retail at the time in the year 2000 2001 and uh I don't know if they still do this, but uh, they would get the new consoles in uh, retail stores, but they would bundle them with things and and then upsell them. Like you have to mm-hmm. like should pay like five hundred dollars for this PS2 because you're getting it with two games that you can't say no to. We're gonna put these things in the box. Yeah, I had to uh, from Sam Goody. Yeah, I bought my GameCube in a bundle, uh, which was fine because there were two games I wanted with it. I I mostly when I see uh, Wario sixty four that account on Twitter tweet out you know ps5s are available here usually they are just the console by itself but some like gamestop still do the whole gotta buy five games with it or Mm. an extra controller and two other games the simpsons will be right back Welcome to the break, whether you're a level five vegan or not. And a big thank you to our guest this week, Kat Bailey. We always enjoy having her on. Please check out her podcast. She does every week with Naughty Oxford, Axe of the Blood God. That is A-X-E, Axe of the Blood God. Check that out for all of their RPG discussions. Also, if you're a fan of this podcast, you know we're supported on Patreon by listeners just like you who help me and Bob do this as our full-time jobs. For five bucks a month, you get to hear every episode of this podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free. You can hear next week's episode right now. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we cover an animated series each week in the same extreme level of fun detail. Plus, you get access to dozens and dozens of exclusive Patreon podcasts. We've covered things like King of the Hill, Futurama, Mission Hill, and The Critic in the same Simpsons style. Coming very soon, you will be able to hear our talk about Season 2, Part 1 of Talking of the Hill, a brand new podcast each Friday, in addition to all the other great stuff. Just for five bucks a month, please sign up today to get access to that. But if you want the kind of luxury only a rich Texan can appreciate, please sign up at the premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. You see, for 10 bucks a month, you get all the $5 things I just mentioned. Plus, we have one exclusive podcast each month for $10 folks, our premium What a Cartoon Movie podcast. We talk about a different animated feature film in depth, just like we do with cartoons, but it often goes for over four hours, sometimes up to five hours long. 
about films as diverse as The End of Evangelion, DuckTales the Movie, and coming next month, we're covering the 20th anniversary of Shrek, so you know we're going to have a lot of fun with that. For over 100 hours of exclusive extra podcasts in addition to everything else, consider signing up at the $10 a month level at patreon.com slash talkingsimpsons today. You know what? One new credit I noticed on this episode is uh, Dana Gould as a consultant. Oh, yeah. So right before he's a writer, we'll talk plenty about him uh, soon. You know what? It must have been that he was on the writing staff of 13, but still doing punch-up in like their last-minute punch-up on 12. That's You're probably right about that, yeah. I bet that's it. But yeah, Oh, Marge is like, you spy a quarter in a pie. God, all of it. Marge, that Marge just song. Just don't look. Just <laughs> don't look. You're right. It is like just don't look. Selman's ripping them off. He uh, (laughs) should be sued by Paul Anka. And then Bart goes to Homer asking him for some money. And uh, I really like Homer as this unsatisfiable dad who says like, you want free money? You should get a job. Maybe I should get a job. Uh, You think you're smart now. (laughs) (laughs) I like Uh, your attitude. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then he was just going to hand Bart a bunch of money, but he apparently had already been doing that. I think there should have been something funny in the wallet. Not even a, like a moth yeah. flying out. Just an empty wallet is what the shot ends on. Yeah, you're right. That uh, a, a lost opportunity for a joke there. I so, have expected him to hand Bart $300 because he's done it in the past. Yeah, he, it's his magical money uh, uh, well, pretty much. Homer, Homer doesn't count dollars anymore. Well, actually, the next episode or a coming episode after this is all about how Homer has no money. Uh, but first, Bart gets a new his first job with a recurring character who we actually just talked about in the Simpson and Delilah episode. All right. Because he's in there. Nice day's work, kid. This is for you. You're paying me in hair? Are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the hair, uh, the stylist, the barber, there we go. That's the word I want. The barber from the Tracy Allman show. Yes, yeah. Jake's unisex hair palace, which... Uh, uh, he first appeared actually teen years almost to the day before this episode aired is when he that character debuted in Bart's haircut the Tracy Ullman short like that's how long he is that's why he has the Homer beard because he comes from the original design era where adult men in the Simpsons world all were drawn with the Homer beard line and he was in 22 short films as well but he sounded a little bit different <laughs> yeah he had more of the Floyd the Barber kind of uh, voice from Andy Griffith show I think Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he is from that era and Jake's unisex hair palace that was first seen in Radio Bart, ah, that that title. Okay, that's where he gets his free haircut or something on Bart's birthday, I bet. I also, I think it shows you where the show is going, that they, they took this sweet old man character based on an Andy Griffith person and now they have um, flanderized him to such an extent that he is now an insane man who uh, pays people in hair and starts cackling at them. And apparently, uh, sweeping up hair at a barbershop was one of Mike Scully's first jobs as a kid. <laughs> he said it was very disgusting. <laughs> Apparently, in uh, throughout time, this has had many different names. In uh, in the shorts, 
when his debut happened, it was just called Snipper Cuts and Shaves. Mm. And then it was uh, just called Barbershop and Marge Be Not Proud. And then in 22 short films about uh, Springfield, it was called Snippy Longstockings. Oh, that's cute. A little too cute. But uh, I like unisex. Unisex hair palace, a nice, a nice fun word. But Bart does uh, not stay at that job since it only pays him in hair. Uh, he walks down the street and runs into um, the character named Mr. Ty, the owner of Ty, you Ty now. You Ty now, which Thai is something restaurant. that, uh, let's say, Asian soldiers would yell at Yankees in uh, war movies. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. do that a lot in Mystery Science Theater, like, you die, Joe! Yes, yeah. That would be like a riff they would use. Uh, and voiced by the master of accents, uh, Hank Azaria. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what's funny with this character is that on the deleted scenes, there is a joke of Bart mocking his accent. Mm-hmm. Like Bart says, when Bart says he's going to do it, he says it in the style of that guy's accent. And then that guy gets offended and he's like, hey, English is my fifth language. Give me a break. <laughs> That's a better joke than just, but I guess they didn't want Bart to mock uh, someone's accent, but it's uh you know different times uh let's uh, say that i do like this guy's running joke about his uh, very specific concerns about where his daughters go to college and i lived the state college nightmare there were baseball hats everywhere <laughs> it was a jockocracy uh i wonder if that's also the harvard writers coming through just like no gotta go to a liberal arts college you can't just you can't go to a state college you'll it's a joke call professors by their first name dynamite <laughs> you want to talk about comparisons to south park mr ty reminds me a little bit of the owner of city walk in the south park show though maybe not as racist yes yeah and uh, well, i think he this guy probably de- uh probably predates the city walk guy yeah yeah oh, C- definitely by like five or six years yeah the the city walk scene i yeah i think it was like oh five oh six yeah and that uh oh over time they retcon that city walk guy to be a white man pretending to be chinese as well they i believe that's uh where they went with that character i i don't uh keeping up with the continuity of south park is is a fool's errand but the the character is a very intense accent i'll say it's uh but i i think it comes from la writers who live off takeout complaining about how aggressive some takeout places are and how they're it's almost like a japanese accent down to the fact that bart is doing i don't know karate yes, yeah it's yes. seemingly a, a thai man who's teaching karate to bart and he's even like in a ninja costume later but i guess you're right henry it's the observational thing of like oh there are just menus hanging on every door i see mm-hmm. where i don't see that around here i don't see the the door hanger menus i just get them in my mailbox or you get the flyers you know i think twice in, in my apartment complex a person came in i like live in a place with about like 40 units in it and one of those like pizza places uh, a person was able to get in and actually hang them on every door but uh usually they can't get past the front door in my place yeah i think too with this thai character like you were saying cat about how it's really mixed up it it doesn't seem to treat thai people as that different of an asian person than other asian cultures uh but i do think it's like kind of a late 90s update at least the like if they'd written this in 1990 it would be a japanese or a chinese restaurant even the idea that a thai restaurant could be a thing you'd order from that feels like an advanced cultural thing for uh for the time but if he was teaching him proper thai martial arts he should be teaching him muay thai, muay thai. yeah though i guess that isn't really 
really gonna bart would just knee people in the head <laughs> and then drop <laughs> drop a menu on them it's not as fun as all of his ninja techniques mm-hmm. and then this is and then suddenly bart's in, in mma and we have a whole different episode <laughs> yeah uh, oh they've done that episode and i've seen it oh god all right <laughs> i uh yes bart first is assigned to drop off the hangers and his first one is mo and mo in a very pre-9-11 joke pulls out a box cutter and says he's going to kill bart <laughs> then he's going to cut him along the flaps that was have we seen mo's house before because i thought for a second that they were going to cletus's house or something I was, so i was a little surprised to see mo pop out actually uh i think we saw this house back in uh, stars burns where uh bart is selling maps to to uh movie stars homes and a japanese couple is at mo's house asking if he's drew barrymore that's right yep yeah. <laughs> and it is this uh, it's this shack too yeah i think yeah that was the first time we saw his house he's he's been living like uh in filth since then his his place looked a lot better uh when homer visits. i guess really he just lives in at his bar really. i guess we saw the inside of his house uh during a suicide attempt in grift of the magi yes yeah, yeah. man i mean it's darker by the minute the mo jokes on here that mo pulls out a box cutter and he's going to murder a child uh pretty soon we're going to find out that mo keeps a human under his floorboards <laughs> and uh, one of the best mo lines is in this episode oh yes yeah uh but uh but yeah it then turns into bart getting trained karate kid style uh which yes is not really tie i do like that he says don't be cowardly like a shrimp be brave like a prawn that's that's good then we get a matrix reference of course you know what i feel they wanted a lot more out of this but they could only animate so much where i was expecting more of a turnaround like there's a couch gag where there's way more of a turnaround with the characters here it just turns maybe a few feet i mean it's so much a pain i don't begrudge the animators for phoning it phoning it in on that because like you have to redraw the background in every frame yeah it's it's and it's probably on the ones to make it look natural like that's the whole point of it and matt selman says this is only when matrix jokes were slightly stale yes i love he comes to that were you gonna would you say that matrix jokes are still kind of we're still kind of fresh back in 2000 or was it starting to get a little played out at this point i think we were what uh is this 18 months after the matrix probably yeah 18 ish yeah yeah, because it was like so it was like may and so this is november the next year yeah i mean uh this would seven months after this is shrek which has uh, the same matrix joke in it so i think that is when you can say it was definitely old at that point i uh you know for when they wrote it it wasn't such an old reference i guess but one joke that i think is visually hard to read but once they describe it on the commentary i finally got it is that i thought bart was hanging the the menus off all the teacups of the wealthy dowagers meeting he's hanging them off of all of their extended pinkies but right. it's, it's so busy a scene visually and it goes by so quick it's hard to see when it's happening but he's hanging the menus off all their extended pinkies it's it's fun to see bart run through the scene but yeah it doesn't it doesn't really read as pink they say on the commentary like we drew the pinkies bigger than usual to try and get this joke to work but uh they this was a real dowager era on the show too like there's there's a wealthy dowager in like every other episode just being shocked at things like <laughs> when homer says you guys are snobs and this is snobs versus slobs like you see a dowager draw uh, 
react to it uh soon uh dowager makes several appearances in homer versus dignity uh but yes this sequence ends with bart successfully tagging everything we even get a release the hounds joke in in a season 12 episode they're still still releasing those hounds bart is so successful he's actually polluting springfield killing a fish or almost killing a fish i can't believe when lisa finds that fish and frees it that it doesn't like die like they actually just let it be safely released i was waiting for that to end on some other moment but no it just swims away i guess that li- actual full joke is in the one where lisa teams up with burns and uh, like she frees a fish throws it back and then it's eaten by a shark to which nelson laughs old man and lisa yes thank you Uh, But yes, Lisa has some notes for Bart about his new job. There you go, little fish. Bart, do you know how many trees died to make those menus? I don't know. A million? You're ruining (laughs) the earth. True, but I gots to get paid. Money equals funny, sister. Oh, Betty. (laughs) Bart, it's so sweet of you to take the family out to Krusty Burger. Hey. Some people in this family are doers, and some are donters. Don't you call me a... Take that, Lisa's beliefs. (laughs) (laughs) And they all laugh at her, Marge even. Marge is snickering too. Uh, I, I also, I like that Lisa gets called a donter and then she says, don't you call me that. (laughs) I really love the design of Itchy and Veronica too. That is such a funny cover. They're drinking a milkshake out of Scratchy's head. No, Archie's head. Archie's head. Yeah, Archie. Sorry, I meant Archie. (laughs) But Bart is a Betty guy, we find out. He's, he's pining after Betty in there. I wonder if that was partially inspired by the 1996 comic book crossover, Archie and Punisher. Hmm. I wonder. Lisa's first concern is about the destruction of trees setting up her character at least at the very least they do establish lisa cares about environmental things before she meets a new character like they at least show that it is consistent with her character to care about this stuff yeah it's not just because she has a crush on a boy yeah i i also do it is kind of a thing for me seeing bart take his family out for a meal like that is one of those like passages of adulthood when you like can pay for a meal like no mom i'll take still haven't done it (laughs) uh you know i've seen sometimes parents don't like it when it happens like hey no i pay for this i've seen some dads uh in tv shows too hey you're emasculating me by paying for this saying i can't pay for it i moved away when i was very poor and the two times i visited home they're just like here's all the food in the world we're gonna take you out show you the town i was like i'll, I'll take it sure my parents are upper middle class and they're like so are you gonna pay for dinner <laughs> that's how that's how they stay for like middle class attitude difference that's funny that's how they stay in that tax bracket cat handouts <laughs> and also making this very south parky feeling as well you have lisa who dares to care about things and the show is much more interested in bart being this like little capitalist troll who's just like yeah well the world runs on money baby and it, he just silences her with his wastefulness they arrive at the crusty burger marge thinks it's a publicity stunt but it actually is more like a pita style sit-in which definitely this was happening at the time and i don't know what pita well i, I really don't know what pita's done in the last year there's nowhere to publicly do anything mm. but i don't know what pita's up to they they've kind of gone away but this this is much bigger than pita uh but yes the guest star speaks and removes his cow head take down the clown listen i'm on your side let's get a dialogue going Take out the mother cow. The rest will follow. Your corporation cuts down the rainforest to create grazing land for cattle. Oh, for the love of... Give me that! No, you can't! 
Don't worry, honey. They're just firing beanbags. You can't silence the truth with beanbags. And that is our guest star, Joshua Jackson, who I vaguely know who he is. But uh, he was a big get for the show in 2000 because he played uh, Pacey mm-hmm. on Dawson's Creek, a show I've never seen. And I think at the time of the commentary, he was on a show called Fringe, which I assume was also big. I didn't watch Fringe, but I did watch a lot of Dawson's Creek. Did you watch Fringe, Cat? I did not, but I know a lot of people who enjoyed the Fringe. It's a, it's a show about alternate realities. But yeah, jo- Joshua Jackson, Vancouver's own Joshua oh, Jackson. Okay. Yeah. But you were a Dawson's Creek viewer, right, Henry? I was very uh, much. Tell yeah. us about Dawson's Creek. I don't want to wait. <laughs> okay. To hear about Dawson's uh, Creek. It, it, <laughs> you want to know right now? Yes. Yeah. It. <laughs> So uh, Dawson's Creek was a teen rom-com of or dramedy, I guess you'd call it, of uh, the late 90s into the early 2000s. Uh, it all filmed in North Carolina. So uh, it was probably Joshua Jackson was in L.A. for some other thing to record this. They, I don't think they went to him at Dawson's Creek, but it was written by and created by the yeah. writer of the Scream films, Kevin Williamson. And it is semi-autobiographical about him growing up, though uh, what doesn't happen for the insert character of the show, Dawson, is that Kevin Williamson realized he was gay, and that's why he couldn't get together with his girl, his Mm. childhood bestie. Dawson is not gay in the show. They create a a season two character named Jack who gets all the gay stuff that happened to Kevin Williamson. That's that experience. But meanwhile, Pacey is the straight guy best friend of Dawson, and spoilers... He's the one who ends up with Joey, Dawson's girl best friend. So you think he'd end up he, Dawson and Joey not together? It was Played Pacey and Joey. Katie Holmes. Katie That's where she Holmes, came from. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and this show really was the first big hit for the WB, correct? And probably helped kill Mission Hill for being part of their new initiative for young young people. Yeah, it was Dawson's Creek, and then uh, straight onto that with Buffy as well. And it was it was a big deal for uh, the producer of uh, the like guy. In charge of wb programming jamie kelder he was very into these teen shows because i mean they were very popular and he didn't want a dumb cartoon like mission hill we'll talk about this actually in our batman beyond what a cartoon too but the success of those teen shows changed a whole lot of programming on the wb and yeah joshua jackson played pacey the cute bad boy who's always getting into trouble but he's got a heart of gold i haven't seen that dawson crying gif in a long time it seems like it got around a lot maybe three or four years ago on twitter but haven't seen it to date really since then (laughs) i thought it was interesting that they decided to have him play a different character rather than just playing himself yeah it's very different for this time a lot of their guest stars just play themselves but he's he plays a a crunchy activist and he's really good at it i i like him a lot in this role i'll uh, also six months before this episode aired he was in the 2000 film the skulls Mm. which is about the skull and bones club and uh we have some uh conspiracy minded pals who i'd really love to hear their thoughts on the skulls now because it really is about like yale and the the skull and bones club but yeah in this section here all the beanbag guns i knew about the beanbag guns because i was a watcher of jackass okay and they on jackass did jokes about or not they did stunts of like shoot johnny knox with a beanbag gun and i think mainly 
apparently it was done cops worked with them on it to scare kids like they're like this is what a beanbag gun does to you guys sadly in 2020 we got um quite a reminder of these less lethal cop weapons uh, that bullet's only made of rubber what can it do yeah they are not non-lethal they kill they have killed beanbags have killed lots of people yeah and i'm sure that uh when i watched this at the time i assumed the simpsons made up a beanbag gun well they did make up the bagzooka yes yeah <laughs> from my search it does not exist but the the beanbag guns even look like or some of them do look like how they're drawn in the show they look like shotguns they they're indistinguishable from a shotgun and that's also the i for a second i forgot the beanbag part so when crusty grabs like what appears to be a real gun and just starts firing at them i was like oh my god crusty and uh the collection of clowns that come out of his limo by the way they're not the same group that come out of his car when they're about to be run over by the <laughs> tank sure i'm alive but why <laughs> uh and actually i noticed noodles the champagne serving clown is among uh crusty's clowns in this one you guys they actually didn't make that up as a joke rainforest deforestation actually a lot of it is from cattle farming and cattle ranches okay i i thought it was a joke but then uh you know it seems like it could be plausible now i i think a lot of this reality of it comes from george meyer actually is kind of an informed guy on this stuff like they they mentioned on the commentary that meyer apparently actually sent money to the butterfly woman who was in the trees like he's though i also think some of the anger he ex expressed towards the poser stuff and all that in the group also is from george meyer's first-hand experience dealing with those groups but I mean, whenever I have to get into yeah. arguments with people about not eating meat, uh, this is usually what I go to. It just the amount of incredible resources it takes to basically give you one pound of beef is just insane. Just mm -hmm. the amount of waste that's involved with that process. So I feel like that's a if you need to argue with someone and you shouldn't, but if someone gets in your face about it, you can just at least resort to that and say, here's an actual issue that's not about I feel bad for the animals, which I do. Yes. Yeah. And that's on top of the methane that they're releasing into the atmosphere, contributing to global warming, which Al Gore was aware of. We made fun of him back in 2000, thereabouts. That guy, he said he created the internet. <laughs> this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need that lockbox now apparently selman says it was meyer's idea that lisa would get a crush on this boy and that would pull her into it and like you said bob yardley correctly calls this out as bad it's like why does it have to be a boy why is it always a boy she said that on the commentary and it's like yeah i mean it's a room full of male writers why would a woman do something all oh, right because she likes a boy there's mm -hmm. no other reason i mean it is nice that they uh they do show you before this that lisa does care about the environment before she meets him but also this entire process is motivated for her crush and she eventually causes a lot of destruction by becoming an activist mm -hmm. it read to me actually instead of dawson's creek i was thinking of nsync or <laughs> backstreet boys just because we were still firmly in the boy band kind of thing happening in 2000 so uh, my first thought was oh they're just going they're leaning heavily into that but it also kind of reminded me a little bit of bob's burgers where not tina the other one with the rabbit ears i'm <laughs> forgetting her Louise, name um, falls in love with a boy band yeah having lisa just randomly fall in love with uh this particular character it's not completely out of character for her because 
because I mean, didn't she call into a boy band? Uh, she once called the Corey Hotline. Talk? She called the Corey Hotline yeah. all the time, which Yardley didn't like either. <laughs> which I I get that. I mean, she is like eight. I mean, that's not completely unreasonable for having a schoolgirl crush, but at the same time, it's kind of eye rolling. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's it's not unheard of for uh, a a little girl to have a crush on a boy like that. Yes, though. I mean, Selman also comments on the weirdness of like a six like the age disparity also is slightly uncomfortable to how much too. bigger he is than lisa mm-hmm. yeah. but uh this character like 18 and she's like eight <laughs> they call him teenage but he doesn't read as like a 14 year old he reads as a 19 year old oh they're like college students mm-hmm. and jesse grass the character's name named after matt selman's brother jesse and i thought it was a joke but it's not he had a bluegrass band called grass that's hilarious so jesse grass <laughs> named after uh jesse selman and grass is that on, i wonder if it's on spotify mm. is uh, his, his brother's bluegrass band it's funny on the commentary hearing yardley say why is it always a boy and scully and the other writers are like uh, <laughs> uh they got they they've let's say they've all matured and learned a lot since then as as carolyn omine told us in that same interview like the the, the guys have grown uh, a lot since the year 2000 it's uh, a lot of this hippie stuff is low-hanging fruit but i do like that he is a white guy with dreadlocks yes yeah a very the most hateable kind of of guy that's well that's something too this is how this episode is different from south park they would have made jesse far more hateable and the villain the clear villain of this episode in any episode of south park because the greatest enemy to matt and trey isn't some rich asshole from texas it is a fake young man who's pretending he cares about something but actually doesn't they would have treated this jesse character far worse than he's would have been murdered (laughs) yes yeah instead in this one he's just sort of a uh, a well-meaning doof kind of yeah, yeah but it does show that uh i mean there's a bit of hypocrisy with these characters and that well they're activists but they also don't want to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. they care more about burning man or going to fish concerts than actually saving a tree well and they're these selfless there there is there is humorous hypocrisy in that while they are being you know counter to society still within their small niche group there is popularity there is the cool kids yeah they have all of the same um poser level poser level yes they have all these same inter yeah. uh dynamics and yeah. it's like leftist infighting basically where it's just mm-hmm. like oh you think you're uh, a leftist well i'm this mm-hmm. i think getting back to the point about lisa falling in love with a boy she has shown many times that she cares a lot about the environment and saving the environment so i don't really think think that she needed to have a crush on anybody in order to immediately start caring about the fate of this particular tree yeah i I guess they wanted to say that's why she would step up her activism is because of that but yeah it's uh it is it's a little lame to be like oh she does it for a boy a girl just does it 100 percent self-righteous enough to tie herself to a tree and you know what i say good for you lisa uh but yes the 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 boy is arrested in this next clip I've had worse. In New Orleans, they hose us with Tabasco. Oh, you're so heroic. All right, cowboy. I'll see you in municipal court. (laughs) Good one, chief. What? What'd I say? I can't believe how young he is. He'd be cute if he weren't so idealistic. (laughs) Look, Marge, I'm in a limo. The Simpsons are going to Paris. 
I love that act break joke because uh, Homer is like trying to take over the episode by saying, like, no, 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 wait, I got in this. This is a pitch for another episode. The Simpsons go to Paris. Let's do that. Instead. He's literally trying to steer the plot into a different direction. Like, I oh, no, that. this is the Homer finds a limo episode. <laughs> uh, There's a self-awareness there that I don't find under- overbearing. It got a chuckle out of me for sure. I just like a satisfied, uh, like, we're going to Paris. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do also like that you think Wiggum is trying to make a pun, but he actually just mispronounced municipal and just said municipal. <laughs> and I also like that Marge literally says the like he'd be cute if he wasn't so idealistic. <laughs> I like uh, the line where he said, Oh, it's worse in New Orleans they hose us down with Tabasco. I don't know why that made me laugh, but I can have a very clear image of it and i think that's why it got a smirk out of me and also like all these jokes about how horrible it is to be beaten by the cops if you're like a righteous protester it's it also feels very uh, ahead of its time and in and clued into politics instead of just going oh those those stupid hippie protesters fuck them but if you're raiding the capitol they're like come on could you please leave this is yeah. like a really important room and you shouldn't be in here guys yes. come on and yeah. yet i don't want to get too dark but in minnesota there were these protests around this time maybe 1999 2000 where a lot of hippies uh chained themselves uh they were trying to save an indigenous plot of land that was going to be basically having a highway going through it and the cops came in and beat the hell out of them while they were chained to these chained to these buildings and everything and these trees and then just left them there and didn't give them any medical attention it was a a very dark chapter in minnesota law enforcement so I mean, we kind of like make light of this, but the fact of the matter is that the police are really freaking horrible to environmental protesters and people who are pro- uh, trying to preserve indigenous rights see also everything that was happening in north dakota a few years ago yeah i was thinking especially of the keystone pipeline and journalists getting arrested just for covering it it's uh evil Mm -hmm. it's pure evil yeah no the cops are bad this is the stance of this podcast and we stand by it uh uh yeah so we come back from the commercial break and kent is giving us a rundown on these characters dirt first group which yes uh bob mentioned earlier the earth first is the real group that's the parody name from this Apparently, the government tried to... There's an interesting thing. I kind of want to watch a documentary about it that was out there, but Earth First... The clo- I was like, did they ever kill anybody? The- what's the farthest they went? And according to the Wikipedia page, there was two members of a group in Earth First, and there a bomb exploded in their car. Yeah, and it was the FBI stance that that was a bomb they were taking to use somewhere else. But the Earth First people said the opposite, and it- I-, I don't know. I-, I could also believe the Earth First stance that the FBI planted a bomb in their car and then pretended that they put it there, like that. Uh, Earth First, yeah. Yeah. I work for I work for campus security, and obviously it's not the same as the FBI. But <laughs> anybody affiliated with an environmental group was cons- treated like public enemy number one and worse than scum. Yeah, anything that happens to them is deserved, and we we're going to do everything we can to discredit them. And this was from the freaking campus police, let alone the actual police department. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're they're just uh, imitating their uh, police department older brothers. So, <laughs> but yes, uh, I I do also like that Kent is talking about Jesse like he's like the new cover of Teen beat magazine like that's as they say like who's Birkenstock is on the rock. <laughs> crusty statement this I don't need that's great I love that. 
in a very year 2000 move homer also changes the channel to the history channel to watch world war ii footage the the luftwaffe the washington generals of the history channel is a great joke that's great and uh, of course this channel has changed greatly the original pitch of the history channel in this era was like you like pbs right what if it was just about the cool stuff of history Mm. which is what homer is watching now war footage but now it is all like forged in fire marathons i was just looking at (laughs) the schedule of the history channel and it's just like a like a four-hour block of forged in fire the sword making show which i'm sure is fine oh i bet it's easy to just put that on and just zone out while pretending to work on a teleconference you can learn all about the tang henry the tang (laughs) i I need to watch the show i don't know this about sword making are they done showing pawn stars on loop i i don't see pawn stars on the schedule i see something called uh let's see here the proof the the curse of oak island is a big one on on this show like Mm. on this network a a big marathon of this reality show so i when i was in high school i was one of those people who was basically watching history channel religiously and that is where i learned a lot of my history from 1950s documentaries that have been repurposed for the history channel (laughs) i love all the public domain footage they i mean that's also why they the world war ii footage was shown all the time back then because it's like cheap or free basically it's just public and so they put it on the tv and they're like yeah well also because history programming history channel programming in the year 2000 was for older dads who were like oh the we're the greatest generation i'm gonna watch them apparently 17 year old lesbians <laughs> i will give it to them in modern day all of their programming seems to be marathon so if you're watching one episode of modern marvels there will be eight to follow <laughs> and you're gonna be sitting there buddy uh it's it's we learned our binge watching habits yeah. but yeah. it's a cliche to say it but along with mtv i really do miss classic history channel like if they would just go back to the way it was i would totally turn it on but instead i cut the cable because screw all the reality tv show programming and ancient aliens and all that <laughs> Uh, I guess I think some of that's on the Peacock now, which I found out I'm accident un- unintentionally a member of. Because, unintentionally. Well, if you're an Xfinity user, I feel like I'm doing an ad for Peacock now. But if you if you live in a place monopolized by Xfinity and it's your only choice to use as internet, you get a Peacock subscription in as part of it. So they will let you watch The Office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with ads of course then uh everybody starts taunting lisa because it's obvious she has a a crush on jesse homer can't recall a children's rhyme which that feels like a very uh season two kind of joke for homer lisa heads to the jail and uh that's where i i had extra laughs at uh, an eight-year-old just being like eh uh, walk down the walk down the jail cells who cares apparently wigan gets a lot of flaming toilet paper thrown at him at home <laughs> that's a great joke uh Find but the hole. <laughs> i mean i it they kind of telegraphed it when lisa was walking in and still when i saw the flaming toilet paper flying and the fire in the hole i was just like yeah good job and fire in the hole is a good dirty joke about flaming toilet paper because there would be a fire in your hole oh yeah your yeah. butthole you're right well uh that uh, i didn't uh, appreciate see, it i i went to i went to uh grad school and that's why i got that joke <laughs> uh but yes lisa confronts jesse you do yoga Yeah, but I started before it was cool. My name's Lisa Simpson. I think your protest was incredibly brave. Thank you. This planet needs every friend it can get. Oh, the Earth is the best. That's why I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) Well, that's a start. Uh, Well, um, I was thinking of going vegan. (laughs) I'm a level five vegan. I won't eat anything that casts a shadow. Wow. Um, I started an organic compost pile at home. Only at home? You mean you don't pocket mulch? Oh, it's so decomposed. 
Do you think I could join Dirt first? Well, we might have an opening at the poser level. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I think it would have been a funnier turn or a more interesting turn if Lisa was put off by this guy mm -hmm. and his constant one-upping of her. The jokes are funny. I do like the pocket mulch. That's good. Yeah, I I mean, this isn't a, an experience that happens where if you... If you're starting to just get into a cause, you might meet someone who tells you you don't really care, you don't understand, or also who's just been at something longer than you. I mean, this is this goes beyond like, you know, political causes. This also is just like you haven't it's from the same place like you haven't seen this movie? Like, Bob, you haven't seen Blade Runner? <laughs> I still haven't. Yeah. <laughs> but especially like the vegetarian vegan one upsmanship feels very uh two thousand as well. I don't know. I I do that to myself honestly where i'm like oh I, i'm a vegetarian but if i were a better person i would be a vegan that's the guilt uh, they're mm -hmm. expressing there too yep. i mean that is why guys like jesse can get under your skin when they they point out they actually are holier than thou because they are doing because less they, damage. Secret, because in, in your heart you know you're right mm -hmm. you know that they are right uh i i was also really surprised with jesse they never another show would have done a joke that he's like a secretly a rich kid or something mm. but they really don't mm. do that with him it's not even in the deleted scenes a joke about oh well how'd you start earth first like well i got a grant i got a million from my dad or my grandfather died and left me 10 million dollars i also assume that there would be more weed stuff yeah but only like really one weed joke at the end there's a big one there and when lisa arrives at the hippie club in the next scene there's a guy with a big hemp shirt but but yeah, there's no jokes. Uh, there's no jokes about weed till the very end. Can we briefly unpack this? So this character, on the one hand, is presented as a hipster who is kind of like a poser, and he's only caring because it's cool. But also is framed as a character who genuinely does care about the environment. Is that right? He definitely is for real, self-sacrificing. Like a a worse character would let Lisa go to jail on his behalf, but he actually accepts going to jail he's like i did this thing and i'm in jail because i'm fighting the power like he is actually a more enduring character in that way it's part of their like eating their cake and having it too in this episode where they want to this character to be someone lisa can look up to but he's also got to be kind of a dick in some ways yeah. too <laughs> he's a snob for sure but he he actually does believe what he believes like he's he's not just using people he's not just into it to be the most popular boy in the hippie club he's not doing it to get with other girls like you don't see him like seducing other women in his group like there's all these stock things and i know these jokes because south park did it with every single one of these type of guys when they wrote episodes like that so i wonder why they held back on that why they didn't make jesse worse i'm glad they didn't i think it's it's better lesson than like no somebody who can be kind of a like a snob also can really believe in something and do good instead of like nothing's real who cares why do you care about any thing like that's not the stance of this episode on well, south park especially around this era they would either frame them as raging hypocrites uh, like rob reiner for example or mm. they would frame them as somebody who was just incredibly cynical and did not believe a word that they were saying but were doing it for other reasons like selfish reasons and in this one it feels like he is a little bit of a hypocrite but honestly i've met people who are invested in leftist causes who are also kind of hypocrites as well so that's it feels a little bit they're just trying to gently poke at some of the silliness that can happen in environmental groups but it comes off as a little ham-fisted and 
in its own late season Simpsons kind of way. So, mm. uh, so Lisa decides that she's going to join up and visit the hippie club. Homer drops her off, and it's very funny. I Homer says he's like, "No, I saved the world in my own way," and then he just starts doing donuts <laughs> in his car and just says, mm, "Donuts!" Like that's pretty stupid. <laughs> I've only been in a car that was doing donuts once in my life, and it was fun. Uh, it seems terrifying. I've never been in one. So just a fun Since nighttime the pandemic. Everybody's doing donuts for some reason. <laughs> well. It keeps you it keeps you separated from other people you know and, and parking lots are emptier than ever it's now. a real thrill i do it I now people are just really bored mm-hmm. i don't know i had a dream last night about going to disneyland alone oh man i hate <laughs> and then i was woken up by a garbage truck which is really a nice metaphor <laughs> Uh, but uh, but yes, yeah, so Lisa arrives at the hippie club and they have a new project. What am I bid for the logging rights to Springfield's oldest redwood tree? $30,000 to make cages for animal experimentation. 50000 for Thai menus. Daughter on wait list at Bennington. 100,000 simoleons to make the world's first drive through humidor. Uh, sold to the rich Texan. Yeah, yippee kaye doggies! Thanks to Caleb for the tape. How'd you sneak that camera in? I got my ways. They can't cut down that sequoia if one of us is living in it. Any volunteers? I'll do it! Me, me, I'm so there! Oh, me, me, me! Whoa, hold on. Once you're up there, you can't come down. Not for a fish concert. Not even for Burning Man. Well, someone will hear the call. (laughs) And whoever does will have a place in my heart. Now, why can't he do it? Yeah. (laughs) That was my question. That's a good point. He really should. Not even for Burning Man line got a a laugh out of me because I hang out with a lot of burners. So, and they are very much like this crowd. (laughs) They would drop everything for a fish concert or Burning Man. They would drop everything for to go to Burning Man. Burning Man is the event of the year. So if you told them you can't go to Burning Man, they would actually gasp and go, oh, my God, no. <laughs> That's a bridge too far. I, I Dave, David Silverman, big Burning Man head himself, the uh, the Simpsons, uh, one of the best directors. He has his own camp. You can go visit him. Mm-hmm. Forgot to clip it out, but I, I like that the, uh, right before this, they are celebrating that they canceled the St. Patrick's Day Parade only because they step <laughs> on lizards. <laughs> and, yes, that tree auction, this is where Rich texts in. This is the first time he's ever been more than a one-off joke that he's Mm. actually a continued character and actually has plot significance and what i thought was interesting is that they try to make the footage look like it was captured with the surveillance camera for by a hidden camera it doesn't quite work you can tell they worked really hard to make it look like that but there are like different cuts in the footage too yeah so i I feel like you shouldn't have had these guys go go to all the work of making the footage jittery because you're kind of cheating within this uh this this clip of this uh auction I do like the gag of the guy saying, I've got my ways, and he's wearing a hat as he says it, but then it's a real, like, no, it's a it's a giant camera in a in a Christmas gift box. It's better than the... Oh, uh, the okay. Yes. It's better. They, they increased their camera technology since Homer almost had to uh, get his neck crushed by the giant hat. That's right. Yeah, this is the return of the hidden camera. They love those hidden camera shows. 
Oh, yes. How long the rich Texan dance is. I love that, too. Like, you can hear it in the audio. Well, it's an extra five seconds of him just going, yeehaw! His jig is very, very well animated, too. This is the first time he did the jig that made them really love rich Texan. I think just hearing Dan make silly noises, it's why, it is why Gil became a major character in the Scully years. It's Scully just loves the sounds Dan makes in character, and so they keep writing more for him. And they were all waiting for him to fire his guns, and I was too. Yeah. I was like, when's he going to fire his guns? But he didn't. No guns on him this episode, unfortunately. And uh, we then cut to the kids at the dinner table, everyone at the breakfast table. This is very funny. Yeah, it's over. Uh, oh, I, I have the clip here. Sheesh. Look at these refugees. How about a smile? They've undergone terrible hardships. Well, moping won't make it better. Mom, Dad, there's something I have to do. You're not going to like it, but I really believe it's the right thing. Arch, she's gonna narc on our stash. We don't have a stash. No, of course not. So Homer apparently has a stash. <laughs> yeah, he, Homer's in. Homer's real crazy in this episode. <laughs> I, I love his. Uh, this is one of those moments where I feel like they just had a thing Schwarzwelder said in a in a writer's room, and then they have Homer say it. They complaining that <laughs> refugees need to look happier in their pictures. I, I do enjoy Marge's very shocked. They've undergone terrible hardships. Yes, yeah. that's what a normal person would say about seeing pictures of refugees. <laughs> Wonder what uh, you think Homer's stash is just pots or you think it's uh, you think it's any heavier stuff mm, i think it might just be pots mm, he could you know he could have some uh, tranquilizers i bet i, I bet he could have some zannies maybe uh but uh, yeah this these crazy lines from homer just feels like what happens in a lisa or non-homer centric episode that they just ramp up homer's craziness for like the five lines he gets so yeah we need a, the craziest homer line in this scene what could it be and then it's the refugee line lisa heads to the springfield woods uh the place that her and bart almost burned down completely a season ago <laughs> oh, right and it also reminded me that like oh you know what else lisa did in the woods it's where she got her poem inspiration and mr lisa goes to washington that's right lisa in the woods and uh, big trees are deeply connected uh, but Lisa at first is scared of climbing the big tree and I love I love that a turkey taunts her by sounding like a chicken that's so great I, I really love our local turkeys uh, whenever I walk to Henry's place to record I always walk on this in the route with the most turkeys just, and I love them just wild turkeys all around Berkeley it's it's nuts like no one even owns them they're just around right? they're just like every they're just like birds you regularly see like crows uh, their turkeys do come from the wild Henry do they they don't make chicken noises at you they don't in no. fact the people on the commentary were questioning why is the turkey making a chicken noise uh it's it's great and it's insanity i guess it would be weirder if there was a wild chicken in the forest mm. so <laughs> uh but just lisa's reaction like oh so i'm a chicken that's like it's uh, and she she climbs up the tree she gets really high it's impressive and a joke goes by too fast that when she looks at the skyline you see that from her vantage point she can see the st louis arch the hollywood sign the eiffel tower and manhattan skyline all from the same uh, viewpoint and it's drawn in a very specific in the movie too oh i think the movie had 
said the five like the would it have like the the, the meaning yeah, of the five states or whatever Ned says it's the meaning of the five states you can see all the states uh springfield's borders and he names a bunch of states yeah and it's drawn in a very specific way this scene and like it's drawn in an odd way so i was like well that must be a mistake or maybe they just couldn't convey it visually but then on the commentary they said it's a a parody of a new yorker cover so i looked it up it's a parody of the march uh 1976 cover and the in the painting is called view of the world from ninth avenue which is like this depiction of the world where manhattan is at the center but you can still see like other countries what? and stuff okay, yeah wow. that's why it's run in like a very flat stylized way how are but, they yes man. in this uh 2000 totally obnoxious magazine cover <laughs> yeah i mean i guess uh i mean we're probably past the time when you can reference new famous new yorker covers but this is one of them <laughs> at this point when lisa gets up in the tree and the loggers appear it's when I was hit with a bolt of remembering. The Simpsons game extrapolates this episode to a full level for Lisa. Uh, Burns is clear cutting the entire forest and her and Bart work together to shut down the factory and save all the trees. Oh, you talking about this gave me the faintest of memories of that level. <laughs> well, you remember the cartoon at the end where the loggers are yelling at Lisa like, I'm losing my job like that. Uh, that was when it hit me. The uh, the Simpsons game also written by Matt Selman, so he's kind of he's cribbing from himself. He's mining there. from his past. The video game goes with the much more obvious direct route of like, well, the person who's doing all the clear cutting is Burns. Like, obviously it would be Burns. It's funnier. It's a real change of pace making it the rich Texan. I wonder if maybe somebody said like, can it not be Burns this time? Mm. It should be a different rich evil guy. When was the last time they even used Burns like properly? Well, coming very soon is Homer versus Dignity. So Probably that's... the Mansion family was the last big yeah. Burns episode. Yeah, his last trip season. to the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but... Still, they're not using them very often is my point. <laughs> No, you're totally right about that, Cat. And I think it's also, it's like Harry Shearer uh, often doesn't play ball at this point. I don't think he was showing up to table reads anymore. And uh, I don't think Mike Scully really liked Mr. Burns that much. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with your observation, Bob, that like, I think Scully's just not as into Burns as previous showrunners. But I think you're also right that uh, Shearer is starting to pull back more and more every season. And that also might just lead them to go like, eh, Shearer's not going to bring his A game or it's not going to be funny at the table read because Shearer is not going to do it so let's write for more stuff for dan dan's here and he's being funny you mentioning the fact that they might have had mr burns doing this just kind of continues to reinforce my feeling that in another universe lisa the tree hugger could have almost been a second season episode just because the way that it's paced and especially the first act feel reads as very season two to me and it's a lot more down to earth than a lot of later episodes especially in season 11 and I mean, they put in the rich Texan, they have the the doofy kids who are running the environmental thing that makes it read as very 2000. But in other respects, it's actually very old school Simpsons, hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's much more character based. And uh, when it gets zany, it's not so it's uh, it's not as zany as some other. Ones. And they don't go to Paris. It's <laughs> uh, zany in the final act, but not to the level that it does in certain other episodes. It's not full-on crazy town also homer has no money yes yeah homer has no money yeah three, yeah they have no money three there kids and no money and they're not trapped on He's the prisoner 500 bucks out of his wallet just at a drop of a hat <laughs> they're not trapped on the prisoner island yeah <laughs> though i guess a magical thing does happen at the end but we'll get to that but but yes lisa is found in her tree gentlemen start your chainsaw Now you come down from there, missy. 
Hang in there, Laura. It's Lisa. Right, Lisa. You're hardcore. Oh, he said I was hardcore. <laughs> Whoa! My baby's up there! It's okay, Mom! I have a safety line! This is your fault with your non-threatening Bobby Sherman-style good looks! No girl could resist your charms! This was her choice, Mr. Simpson. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. I was lost in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they they talk about, too, on the commentary that they were very much into making any character gay situationally for a gag, if need be. And, and Homer instantly falls in love with Jesse. <laughs> Uh, and also use the Bobby Sherman good looks. That's a go-to love of the Simpsons is talking about Bobby Sherman. Is that the Partridge family? No, he was no. a solo guy that, that uh, Marge had a crush on go growing up. And oh, okay. in an episode of The Critic, uh, one of Jay's only fans thinks he's Bobby Sherman. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Then the, the return to Bobby Sherman jokes clearly is because Al Jean's back in the room then. It's, it's nice that he at least calls her hardcore like he is. He's supporting her though i think maybe he should be judged for like you're letting an eight-year-old risk her life for your yeah. thing like fuck you guys you might be a legal adult jesse we're not sure yeah you know what the, the cops and like the cops need an excuse to arrest him like there you go he endangered an eight-year-old with his instruction they should arrest margin homer yeah what the hell well i think that's part and parcel in the way that the show has always depicted lisa where she is almost never an actual eight-year-old girl she's usually basically just an adult like she could be a college student mm. but for the purpose but she just happens to be eight <laughs> In a later season's episode, she will pretend to be a small college student and start going to college as an adult. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, so in that sense, it just, that's why she fits in with this particular group because I don't know, it's consciously or subconsciously, they are writing Lisa as basically this age. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, and so Lisa's up in her tree. She's getting reports back from Bart. I like that he sent her Thai soup. and He's being supportive. Uh, yeah. I guess he likes that she's, you know, this is a disruptive uh, anti-establishment move by her. So I can see Bart appreciating it from that angle. And, uh, and I also like that he, Bart, in his letter to her, says, like, Dad is building a ladder, a very tall ladder, but it is a poor quality. <laughs> He's assessing the ladder. <laughs> Don't trust that ladder. And uh, then it cuts to Kent. He's reporting on it. He calls her Lil Lisa. Then he's like, I'm sorry, I meant little. Like, I love his editorializing. It's like, whether you love or hate her politics, you've got to gawk at this crazy idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, and the drawing of Lisa hugging, literally hugging a tree that's hugging her back. That's great. Uh, and then there's a uh, here's another deleted scene from the episode where Lisa's having a bad time being uh, blown around in the tree. She looks up and the tree becomes comes alive and it's the old Jewish man's face. And he says, I'm Grandpa Tree. And if you throw up on me, I'm going to toss you out of here. That's weird. It's like a Pocahontas reference or something. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I bet it is a Pocahontas reference. But uh, I think rightly cut. Yeah, that's it, a bizarre. I need to watch this deleted scene. Yeah. We'll get to it at our deleted scene specials. <laughs> uh, they at least show that it's Lisa having a dream and not just a, uh, a thing that just happens. Uh, but yes, Lisa is starting to feel a little homesick. It's day four for Springfield's littlest tree hugger. <laughs> Excuse me, that's littlest tree hugger. And whether you love or hate her politics, you gotta go gawk at this crazy idiot. <laughs> oh, 
seven o'clock. The family's just sitting down to dinner. You call that thing grace? <laughs> oh, now they're making popcorn and hanging Christmas stockings <laughs> and coloring Easter eggs. <laughs> oh, I can't take it. Would it be so bad if I just went home for an hour? She's only been there for a night, and she's missing every holiday. <laughs> yeah, I love it's in. It seems to be at least a week or so. I think mm. she's there, but or at least a few days. But yeah, that I love how all the holidays are collapsing on themselves. I also, it's such a great joke. I can't believe they've not never done it before with their strangling things. That in silhouette, it looks like Homer's hugging <laughs> Bart, but he's instead strangling him. And for such an extreme thing, is not saying grace correctly. Like, and it's for a long time he is killing bart i was kind of surprised that they made the simpsons so wholesome but i guess it's not surprising that they would do that just in the service of a gag mm -hmm. yeah they they're doing things together as a family they would never do only to make lisa feel bad is i guess really as long as it can make lisa feel bad uh the reality the consistent reality can be uh, thrown away i do like the call back to the strangling when they're sleeping whilst while he's strangling him oh my god yeah. that's so good that's uh, a good visual gag i'm not gonna lie another such mean thing to do to lisa says when she kisses the tree goodbye she says someone's been marking their territory meaning lisa just uh, got urine on her lips lisa tasted yeah. pee yeah animal pee kind of got to debase lisa for her beliefs really sad they have to do that but yeah that, that homer and bart fell asleep choking that's so funny uh though the one change in the real world the people who were in the tree could never can clandestinely leave because the media watched them all the time they never left so lisa being able to walk away like that uh the the media has to just not be there you just have to accept that so lisa falls asleep sees she overslept and runs back and she sees the tree has seemingly been cut down you can see the indent of the lightning mark on it just a little bit but it looks like it has been chopped down by uh, loggers and it's all because of the bucket yes so uh, lisa's so activism mean. yeah ended up destroying the tree it, it is very cruel to lisa where not only does she uh, i mean it's motivated by her love for a boy but then she betrays her values by leaving and then because of her activism in the first place the tree just gets destroyed where if she had done nothing mm. it would have been cut, cut down the same thing would have happened yeah that that she says they have to make it so clear for saying out loud like well, at least it's not my fault. And the lightning was attracted by her metal. Like, ah, oh, that's so mean. That is very South Park in the activism is pointless. Everything, you are one person who cannot make a difference. If you try to make a difference, bad things will happen anyway. So why bother? Which honestly, I don't particularly jive with that idea, especially in the year of our Lord 2021. But with Lisa, but in the year 2000, it was very much in vogue. We were at the end of history. Everything was going to be nice and groovy. And if you cared too much, you're a total loser. We figured it out, folks. Yeah, we, we figured, figured everything out. out. <laughs> Stop bothering me. Uh, so when the episode comes back from the break and uh, Kent is reporting in front of the uh, 
just a dead tree. I feel like we've heard so much from Ken Brockman in this episode. He's in this way more than I remember. <laughs> this is where the animator commentary had a really fun moment where Stephen Dean Moore mentions that he, the smoke, the way the smoke looks, was actually inspired by Ninja Scroll. Hmm. He said he had oh just... God. He had just watched the anime film Ninja Scroll and really loved how the smoke was drawn in that anime. Huh. And so he's like, oh, I want to get that in the smoke in this episode. I wonder how many other times Ninja Scroll has inspired the Simpsons animators. <laughs> See, this is what happens when the animators don't have the writers doing bits over them. They get to say, I like anime and this, inspi this is inspired by an anime. <laughs> Now I just want to have Stephen Dean Moore on an interview just to be like, okay, tell us every time you uh, took a scene from an anime and put it in The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Now I'm, I made a, a gif of the smoke on Frankiac. It does look really anime. That's cool. But, uh, but yes, Kent is reporting on the carnage. Mom, those loggers chopped down the tree. Why did I have to leave my post? Now, honey, let's turn on the news and forget our troubles. <laughs> Springfield's oldest resident has died. No, it wasn't Mr. Burns. It was this majestic old redwood, which was brutally cut down last night. Oh. Not by loggers, but by lightning. Lightning? Oh, at least it wasn't my fault. Lightning attracted by this metal bucket. Yeah. Still unknown is the fate of tree sitter Lisa Simpson. I'm afraid it doesn't look good, Kent. We found her sleeping bag right here. Our working theory is that the lightning exploded her. Back to you, Ken. You don't get to say that. <laughs> Goodbye, Lisa. We'll miss you. Oh, no. Lisa's gone, and nothing will bring her back. Unless... Dad, I'm not dead. Oh, praise God, you're alive. Unless... <laughs> uh, underrated line from Marge is, Now, honey, let's turn on the news and forget our troubles. Oh, yes, that's a great <laughs> line. <laughs> Uh, man, the yes, again, uh, another point is that Lisa would have died if she'd stuck to her morals. Yeah. Like, in a way, she's rewarded for selling them out and wanting to be warm inside instead of saving the tree. Like, it, it's a, that is a very damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing for her. And that, in a way, Lisa killed the tree in a more horrible way than if it had been cut down by the loggers. Because <laughs> had the loggers cut it down, it could just be actually used yeah. for something. Here, it, uh, the the lightning kind of fucks it up more though i guess it's going to be a drive-through humidor had it been used normally which only cigar aficionados aka assholes cared about <laughs> in the year 2000 humidors are for keeping your cigars humid and good that's what the smashing pumpkins guy wanted to buy in uh, homer palooza <laughs> well you're right a walk-in humidor that's his you know boy they're just stealing from themselves all over the place hey they upped the joke yeah they went did. from walk-in to drive-through <laughs> i definitely think corrigan would invest in a uh, Billy Corgan would buy a, a drive-through humidor at this point. He spent all of his money on scarves <laughs> and professional wrestling. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, uh, Lisa is thought to be dead. I love Homer's just unless mm -hmm. that's so great. Again, Homer's trying to start new stories in this plot as it's going, but everyone rejects it. They all decide that the world is better if they think Lisa is dead. I loved Lisa Simpson, loved her like a shrub. And I would give anything to see her sweet face again. Oh. <laughs> but in death, 
She will do more for our cause than she ever could have done in life. <laughs> uh-huh. In Texas, we do tragedy right. That's why, in memory of that poor little girl, I'm turning this entire forest into the Lisa Simpson Wilderness Preserve. We won, Lisa. We finally won. This is for you. He cut off his favorite dread. We have to tell them you're not dead. No, Mom. It's a memorial for us now. If I'm alive, they'll cut it down. You are not pretending to be dead, young lady. This family has had nothing but bad luck when it comes to farce. Homer, it's Nettie. I baked you a little something to ease the pain. Oh, <laughs> my side, Lisa. Come in. <laughs> Homer oh. disguising his voice for no reason is great. I love that. That That is so funny. So Marge first makes a very meta comment like his family says, nothing but bad luck when it comes to farce. And then a full farcical scene starts <laughs> of Homer dressing up Lisa like Maggie to pretend that she is dead. And then Homer... To make it so clear that this is bad farce, Homer says it like, come in, <laughs> a very ridiculous way of tying it. I like that this episode is self-aware, but in a way that's not completely overbearing. See also when Homer was at the in the limo saying the Simpsons are going to uh, <laughs> going to Paris. Um, mm. It's just a, a very blink and you'll miss it kind of moment that they don't really hammer it home too much. But at the same time, it's just like, yeah, I, I really enjoy this. So I also like uh, this would be the turn in a South Park episode where Jesse would be like, and in Lisa's death, we will now use you to do blank, blank and blank and completely take advantage of an eight year old seemingly dead <laughs> for your cause. But instead, it's where Rich Texan comes in and just like, no, he's the one who's going to co-op the tragedy i also uh, a real jfk reference and like in texas we do tragedy right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yes i i guess did you read his hair is dreadlocks until that point it's uh no. I, I mean they do look like poofy dreadlocks but... i i only did when he gave the dread to the uh lisa effigy or not, yeah. not effigy sorry uh <laughs> memorial or yeah. whatever uh i i know it now because it's been 20 years but when i first watched it i didn't realize they were dreads until the dread was cut off they probably said, uh, this kid has dreads, and then they got the animation back, and they were like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it's hard to portray dreads when you can't have too many lines of detail on characters like this. Mm. Especially mm -hmm. with how they draw blonde hair on a yellow-skinned character, too. It's uh, there's, there's only You need to have someone call it a dread out loud. Yeah. And then Lisa knew what his favorite dread was as well. Do you have the Mo bits? Oh, do I, Because yeah. that's one of my favorite Mo lines where I, I cackled out loud in my <laughs> uh, living room oh right before that is when bark oh, right, gets straight sorry. a's i did want to mention just that i think that, that urban they, legend sorry yes yeah i think they specifically though got it from 1998 was when the dark comedy dead man on campus came out i was there for mark paul gosler's movie star turn on the silver screen <laughs> and then with, turn back away from yeah. being a movie star i never watched uh, what was that show suits or was franklin and bash franklin and bash that's the his yeah. show. yeah yeah <laughs> he's franklin i'm bash we're cops <laughs> i don't know what it is about i'm sorry uh <laughs> 
But yes, that uh, Dead Man on Campus is about two guys who find out that if they can get a roommate to commit suicide, then they get all A's. And so it's a dark comedy about trying to drive roommates to suicide. I believe it was an MTV film, right? Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, it was under the same banner as Election. The TV told me to watch it, so I did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like that Bart is just like, uh, oh, why? Oh, yes. Uh, horrible, horrid business, that. But yes, the Mo scene. Homer, Homer walks into the bar wearing that deadly lisa t-shirt i want that t-shirt it's great but <laughs> uh but yes here i'll play the clip raven father coming through homer uh booze is on the house seeing as how lisa is um how do i put this uh riding the midnight train to slab city thanks for the beer <laughs> but before lisa died she made this tape that i think you should hear Dear Mo, if anything should ever happen to me, I want you to tear up my dad's tab and pour cocktail onions. Dad, I can't. Read it. Pour <laughs> cocktail onions down your pants. Well, I ain't never said no to a dead girl yet. Okay, so Mo, uh, riding the midnight train to Slab City is uh, apparently Matt Sullivan got that from a James Elroy novel he was reading at the time, which makes total sense. But I ain't never said no to a dead girl yet implies Moa's had sex with dead women. Oh, yeah. And that is what it it means. That's why I cackled at home. That is one of the darkest Mo jokes. Wow. I I feel even worse now for that joke. Oh, my God. Wow. Damn. They really got away with something. I didn't even catch that. But it's absolutely what it means. Of course, the way they write Mo at this point, of course he's having sex with corpses. <laughs> There's like, no two ways around it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also do love the little acting on Homer's face when uh, he's playing the tape and Lisa's like tr- getting back on track. He just like nods like, eh, you heard him. You heard her, Mo. Like, I love that. And in this next scene, it feels like they asked Brantford Marsalis to be on the show, but he said no. So they kind of screwed him over on this scene. Oh, Oh, yes. Where he yeah. just gets kind of like gets shoved away it's like by Milhouse. Yeah, that he, they, they just let, I love that Milhouse takes the saxophone with him and they're they're just like, good, go forth, Milhouse, good luck. Oh, yeah, I love how Mayor Quimby's like, good luck, Milhouse. Yeah. So he knows uh, who Milhouse is and his relationship with Lisa and he's supportive of it. Yes, he, he wants, everybody wants him to clone Lisa if they can. Oh, that's so, yeah, that Branford Marsalis, he was the original band leader on Jay Leno's tonight show so bringing back the jay leno stuff again from the earlier in the episode i just love their way of like dumping on the leno headlines too like the only person who'd like leno headlines is somebody who's lame like uh like marge is i like it that the only truly evil person is rich texan because they reveal that he said he was gonna not cut down everything and then he says oh lisa appeared to me in a dream and said that she wants me to turn this into an amusement park and he's gonna destroy everything and and use lisa's face in it it's so uh it's so crass and evil i love that he's evil and not jesse that's that's an important bit to me on the animated commentary the director uh more he brings up that he worked really hard on getting the timing right on the sign effects which go by so fast i feel bad that i didn't appreciate it and then he has a fun little passive aggressive statement of there's a crowd around the tree and he says like uh, the hd area they probably asked me to draw like triple that crowd amount of like god damn that sounds hard especially in a show with this many crowds yes yeah and and then on the fucking poor 
poor Dean Moore in the writer's commentary, they call out that a lot of the crowd looks off in a couple shots. Like, there's the worst drawn Flanders ever, they say. You know say. what? That Flanders wasn't so bad for Flanders at a much reduced scale that you see for a second. Yeah. I was waiting for a much worse Flanders because I forget what, you know, actually happened. And then they're, like, anticipating the moment. Like, there he is, there he is. I'm like, I've seen way crazier background characters than that. Way more off-model characters. Yeah. They're, they're calibrated for season 12 off-model when we just did season one yeah which, like if someone's on model it's uh you're like wow someone stayed on model by the way brand from Marsalis, i want to rewind a little bit he was as we said uh, jay leno's first band leader who famously wasn't happy to be on the show and there was a reference to that in up late with mcbain my band leader scoey right. who didn't like mcbain oh, so that right. was a reference to brand from Marsalis. Wow, maybe you're I a pre- homosexual too <laughs> you're all homosexual Moore says that he thinks that the crowd looks like crap because he probably just drew a rough a rough drawing and overseas just over expanded on it from there with no real in between for that and they're just like well yeah her hoover miss hoover is drawn with black uh frames on her glasses that's how we're gonna draw her in this scene so that that's what Moore thinks is the issue for it. but yeah you're right bob there's there's way worse uh off model characters but lisa can't take snow more in this next clip and finally an exciting announcement from our good friends at omnipay <laughs> folks last night the dear departed lisa came to me in a dream she told me her fondest wish was that this forest would become the world's rootinest, tootinest, pollutinest amusement park. You promised us a nature preserve. Now, don't you fret. We're sensitive to all your eco concerns. <laughs> That's it, boys. The gift shop will go right there. Yeah! Oh, cut it down. <laughs> I'm not dead, and neither is my sense of moral outrage. Uh, here we go. Sir, have you no shame? Clearly, I don't. Now get your hiney off of Lisa Land. A redwood is not a promotional tool. That, did Homer drive her there? Uh, oh, he must have, actually, yeah. <laughs> he should have known what was going to happen. I was like, I, th- I thought she was going to like show herself to the crowd, but she's really pushing this. <laughs> I It's a very also, like, take that Lisa's beliefs line. of The the, the other side of that coin is like, oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Homer said that same line in the uh, Bart to the Future one, too. About the soil and green. Like, yeah. isn't that made of people? Oh, here, here we, we go. Here we go. <laughs> I like that rich Texan is basically a Captain Planet villain. Yeah, cut it down. He is Horace Greedley. He's, oh, that's right. Yeah. I was trying to think of the name. It's not Luton Plunder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the I also like. I love his uh, delivery of like. Clearly, I don't. <laughs> like, I I think of that when I think of like. No, oh, this. Did, did you ever think a Republican had that uh, good morals? Like, no. Of this was not. yeah, and this was twenty years ago. Like, you can ne- you can never do this. They don't care. They don't yeah. care if they're hypocrites. <laughs> hey, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> Whatever. Cut everything down. I don't it, like, they they only yeah. care if they're winning. That's it. <laughs> uh, I mean, the flip side of we can't govern, we hate life and ourselves has always been we've just we're just plain evil. Yeah. So, and they were saying that in the mid '90s. So that's all you need to know. Yep. 
Yeah, oh, God, Rich Texan. And Rich Texan was on the Republican board that picked uh, Bob Roberts as well. Uh, our uh, sideshow Bob. What do you say? <laughs> what do you say? I also, I love, my favorite line, so, I think, is, good, 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 girl. I think I say, good Lord, he's cutting the guy wire. That's good, too. That is, like, Sideshow Mel exists to say those lines. But, but yeah, comic book guy is the type of guy who would be very upset at seeing a good 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 girl talking <laughs> as mel said the wire got cut it starts to fall over and you know what i think i know why jesse went to jail he almost killed like 80 people by drop by cutting this tree down i like that he stands by his beliefs you know that he like he's this isn't a promotional tool but it is pretty bad he almost killed some people and i guess did kill people since he let it loose and it is it uh, never stops moving and is smashing things that kind of is his fault there's a really weird joke that i can tell they rewrote because the second half of the joke is clearly different uh, line put in after the fact where jesse the log has been set free with lisa's weird head on top of it and he goes return to me he's trying to bring the log back and then he goes oh right i don't have superpowers yet mm-hmm. after return to me that is a completely new line and i wonder what he said after that because it just is very it falls really flat Mm-hmm. and it makes the character seem much more bizarre than he was in the first place i bet his line originally sold him out more that's my Maybe, guess yeah. just like and kill everyone or whatever and then because what is not changed is the reaction shot from his fellow hippies who kind of like judge him like wait what so i think he said something that shocked them even more than just he's crazy and he thinks he can control trees but uh yeah i would that they i mean it must have been a big adr change because they would have had to gotten joshua jackson back to re-record a new line for it the animators also completely cop to the fact that lisa's head changes direction in falling over uh i love lisa's big grinning head on top of the tree changes Uh, that's the only thing they're like man that's kind of unrealistic yes yeah uh (laughs) but that design of her the the pez head design of lisa is really great and that it is the smiling face of Lisa as this destructive log rolling down the uh, the world. Uh, and yes, good things and bad things are smashed in this uh, next clip. Not my company. Ah! <laughs> no, it was fingerlingling good. <laughs> So that was Kentucky Fried Panda and Hemp City Reduced to Stems and Seeds. That's pretty great. Reduced to Stems and Seeds. That's the one pot joke they get away with. But Kentucky Fried Panda honestly feels too like 90s edgelord. I think The Simpsons is better than that. Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, like South Park would have just done that joke. But I I like on the commentary, Scully kind of actually goofs on them not writing a different joke that Homer, Homer just says the sign gag out loud that was on the uh the restaurant but right before it gets smashed <laughs> it doesn't sound like one of the regulars saying it he says like it's headed for the business district like that's out maybe it's that's, Car- that's carl Car- that is carl Weidergott. yeah okay but uh but also i do like that rich texan identifies as a bad guy he's like yeah score one for the bad guys <laughs> like he from his point of view even he knows like yeah i'm the bad guy i'm the bad guy here i accept it captain planet villain 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Horace Greenley is very aware he's a villain and that he's a pig man. He, well, see, he was at Asner, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In one of his like snortiest and uh, nasaliest uh, roles. But yes, Hemp City is destroyed. Jesse's back in jail. Again, they they ultimately leave you with him, uh, with his morals mostly intact, and he's not a bad guy. But also, solar power is bullshit, man. Yeah, yeah. I can't uh, even kill people. <laughs> uh, and the joke about uh, moistening head sponges is uh, taken right out of Green Mile, which yeah. was a recent film then. We all learned about the importance of the head sponge when you're trying to execute someone. And, uh, and I guess also they send him to jail just so like well this is why lisa doesn't hang out with him again i would assume he got like 40 years in jail whatever the highest punishment he could be given he's still in jail as of this moment in the <laughs> simpsons universe well, he is a white middle class kid i'm sure he got a slap on the wrist mm, that's true but they do punish eco kids if they're white more than your average white guy so yeah you've got you've got leftist protester versus white privilege which level uh, how uh, it's hard to figure and i don't think i mean he did an okay job but i don't think joshua jackson is a great voice actor i didn't nah. like i didn't like a lot of his line reads but i do like this last one when he says what's up with that yeah, it's, it's it weird. It made me laugh. It's weird. He's playing the character funny for the only time in the episode where he actually says, like, a funny line. But, uh, yes, here's our final clip. Hey, Lisa. Aw, oh, Jesse, they locked you up again. Yeah, but I'm still fighting for the Earth. I even got him to install a solar-powered electric chair. Dude, we've been here all morning. Could you at least re-moisten my head sponge? Well... <laughs> I'll write you letters on rice paper with a soy pencil. Ah, you're sweet. <sighs> Did they ever stop that log? Not yet. What's up with that? <laughs> this log is your log. This log is my log. When lightning struck it, it kicked the bucket. I put some onions inside my trousers. This log, it used to be a tree. Okay, so two things. Uh, we got the rare missing tooth Mo yeah. in that shot, which I always love. And I have my own tale of the tapes, by the way. Oh, boy. For this, because I was still taping stuff in the year 2000. And uh, a trick that I learned for watching The Simpsons at that point is I always watched it with closed captions on because you would often catch a joke that they changed. Mm. And this was also pointed out in the commentary that there was uh, the log song was set to the tune of Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. Yeah, which and you just heard J-Lo sing at the inauguration. I did not hear that because I didn't watch it. <laughs> but uh, they got permission to use the song and everything. But there was a line in the song about how the log was killing people. And I couldn't find what the original lyrics were. But I recall, to my recollection, the caption said, now it's destroying society. Mm. That was the final line instead of heading out to sea. <laughs> so... They didn't like that. The the Guthrie estate didn't like that. So they changed it to now the log is heading out to sea. They didn't want the log to kill people. I like that the singers are realizing like, hey, look, it's heading out to sea. Like, that's such a great... Uh, that, uh, but they were stuck with that because... 
uh, like Scully said on the commentary, he didn't want to do like a sound alike or a ripoff. If he could pay for it, they wanted the real song to sing over. But that's what happens when you actually pay the estate for the real song. They can have opinions on if they want to have uh, lyrics about killing people in the song. I do think the lyric, when lightning struck it, it kicked the bucket, is very good. It's yeah, very it's satisfying great. to think about and hear sung to you. couple things. First of all, seeing the log wreaking havoc across the country reminded me that I actually did see this when it first ran because I had mostly forgotten this episode, but I definitely remembered how crazy that log was. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, seeing Lisa's head kind of reminds me of the fish bulb, the Homer <laughs> fish bulb. And I was like, oh, that's like the Lisa equivalent, only it's on a giant log. <laughs> I love it going uh, down. What is that? Lombard Street? Yes. I've never even, I've, I live pretty close to there. I've never been to, it, but it's the famous windy street in San yeah, Francisco. And seeing it go down that and then into the bay and under the under the Golden Gate, it did. Re- it also reminded me like, well, I haven't been to San Francisco in uh, a year now, it's I think. It's been a year but, for me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not missing much. Uh, I I did love. Uh, well, I will say the last time when we did that live show, I was reminded like, boy, San Francisco is not doing great these days, and I have a feeling it'll be way worse the next time I go into San Francisco, the city itself. Yeah, I love Mo's. Uh, just how horrible he sings trousers that hurt my voice to even try to do it there it must be a hot mic or they recorded hank in a different way just very harsh sounding yes but again the missing tooth which is on the original model sheet it's what wes archer swears by i love seeing mo with his rare missing tooth yeah i'm glad wes i am i stand by wes archer being insistent on that it's on the model sheet kind of thing like even even if it looks better uh to look at if he has all his teeth it's funnier if he has a missing tooth it's it's more cartoony i feel like most thinking about pouring stuff down his trousers is very scully ears to me <laughs> yes yeah i mean well just pouring things down your pants is a very late 90s uh i don't mm. think bill and josh would have done as many mm. jokes about pouring things down your pants it is funny how mo appears in the song for no reason to describe something you've already seen yes like hey remember this (laughs) Uh, very meaninglessly but it's so great i for no reason here's a poo (laughs) and then there's in one of the most jarring things ever in the show they go from the this land parody straight into the matrix music over the credits like like they could have just continued the this land music over the credits but instead they brought back the matrix music it probably would have cost extra money maybe i think they were out of this land is your land i guess so yeah i i mean i guess they only used the song for a minute so maybe they're like oh this song's good let's use it again over the credits but alf clausen wrote a lot of fake matrix music we got to use it all (laughs) ultimately this episode definitely feels like selman trying to do a south park within the system of the simpsons but there's more heart to it simpson style than there is in south park and i i'm kind of glad you know if they'd if they'd gone full heartless and hateful towards anyone who believes in anything that that would be definitely much more off-putting to me 20 years later. Yeah, it was a much softer version of the South Park Everyone is Wrong, and it was much easier to swallow than I think a, two, a year 2000 South Park episode would be for me today. So mm. it's not it's not amazing, but there are like really good jokes in it. And again, Mo has sex with corpses, so yes. we learned something new about characters in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I got some serious laughs out of me. And also, it could have been so much worse. I was bracing myself for a really obnoxious episode when Lisa goes and meets uh, Josh in the in the jail cell for the first time and they're talking about poser uh poser entries and everything 
but it turned out to be, you know, kind of more of a classic Simpsons episode. It's outside of the log destroying the world. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's surprisingly grounded in an early Simpsons kind of way. So I came away going, oh, that wasn't so bad. I mean, it's not amazing or anything, but it's fine. <laughs> until a giant log moves under its own power across america uh, it's a very down-to-earth episode i i do really like that ending it just it's so it's yeah. so surreal <laughs> that and the song and how it just goes across the country based on the momentum of sliding down a hill and to hear jesse just say like what's up with that that's a, that's a great line. but it wasn't like it wasn't it was a surreal ending but like we've had crazy wackadoodle injury endings but this one felt like it fit as it were like i was like going eh, you know it's it's insane it's really heightened but it feels like the logical conclusion to this episode for some reason and i'm willing to just kind of roll with it <laughs> so cat thank you so much for joining us uh mm. hopefully we'll get to see you in person again in the year 2021 as it unrolls but please tell us all about the acts of the blood god patreon and what you're up to right now yeah thanks for having me back on the show and you guys were actually on my show just recently we were talking about the 90s anime that we loved and the rpgs that they helped create that was a lot of fun just to reminisce about magic knight ray earth alone good times and yeah, dense layers no, oh, let's God. not forget slayers. slayers for sure yeah i'm currently watching the entire series so it's been fun <laughs> oh my god what do you think uh it really holds up if, if folks are fans of uh role-playing games whether japanese or not uh your podcast is a lot of fun and you guys are producing uh you do lots of great stuff on your free feeds for acts of the blood god but also i uh you've you've really stepped it up uh, production wise on your patreon it is uh well worth the uh the money mm -hmm. yeah thanks so much it's patreon.com slash blood god pod and you can follow me on twitter at the underscore catbot thanks a bunch we always love having you back on cat thanks guys so thanks so much to Kat Bailey for being on the show. Once again, please check out her Patreon, Acts of the Blood God. But as for us, if you want to support our Patreon and get all these episodes one week at a time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Sign up for five bucks a month. You'll get just that, but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall that includes new episodes of Talking Futurama once a month, but also access to every miniseries we've done for the past nearly four years. The most recent one was Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 2. And coming at the end of March, we'll be starting Talking of the Hill season two part one so even more miniseries for you and there will be two total miniseries coming at you in 2021 so much stuff behind the five dollar paywall if you enjoy listening to our voices talk about cartoons there is so much going on that you haven't heard if you're not a patron of patreon.com slash talking simpsons and there is also a ten dollar level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons that'll get you access to all the five dollar stuff of course but also on top of that access to one mega long podcast once a month that is only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry why yes bob you're discussing the what a cartoon movie podcast our special extra bonus podcast we do each month often we talk over four hours about an animated feature film in the same way we talk about simpsons and the what a cartoon podcast what a cartoon movie recently has done the uh, ghibli film whisper of the heart right before that we did dexter's lab ego trip that cartoon network classic and before that was our five hour long discussion of the end of Evangelion. And there's going to be another awesome one in March. You sign up at the $10 level, you get access to an entire over 100 hour back catalog of What a Cartoon Movie podcast, in addition to all the $5 stuff, and also all of me and Bob's video commentaries on Simpsons deleted scenes mm -hmm. going back to season seven, I believe. And our most recent one for season 11, you can still check it out. It's a lot of fun. If you want to see the craziest drawing of Homer's butt they ever did, <laughs> you got to 
sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast, by the way, is Retronauts. That is a classic gaming podcast all about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two full-length extra podcasts every month. Again, that is patreon.com slash retronauts. Henry, how about you? Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. That's where you can stay informed about all my thoughts on the world and whenever new stuff goes live but if you really want to stay plugged in on the events in the talking simpsons network you really should follow on twitter the official twitter account of this podcast at talk simpsons pod at talk simpsons pod will let you know when new podcasts go live on the free feed when they go live on the patreon same for our what a cartoon podcast and anytime we do extras on the patreon or have cool news about what's going on in our world you will stay up to date if you follow at talk simpsons pod on twitter so please please do so thank you so much for listening folks we'll see you next time for season two's dancing homer and we'll see you then your old man well maybe i should so now you're smarter than your old man huh i guess i like your attitude take what you need